Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on BlogTalkRadio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on BlogTalkRadio.com or even the BlogTalkRadio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. When 26-year-old Destiny Mathis began campaigning for Barack Obama, her life was tough, but she had hoped that things would soon get better. Well, for her contribution to the campaign, later on, Destiny received a personal letter from President Obama thanking her for her support and letting her know that things would soon get better for her. Once a treasured family heirloom, now it's up for sale to the highest bidder. Destiny Mathis, welcome to... A measure of truth. (laughs) So tell us your story. How did everything transpire that you are now in a situation after um, campaigning for Barack Obama and things have now changed in your life that you're unemployed and trying your best just to hold on to the home for your family? Um, Well, I have been working as a surgical tech for six years. I graduated in 2005 from college and... um, I became pregnant with my youngest daughter. Um, I was still working basically up until the time I had her. I wrote President Obama in November of last year, and he wrote me back in February. I had just lost my job in January because I was put on strict bed rest with my pregnancy. It was very complicated. And um, my partner and I, we, you know, disagreed on a lot, so we went our separate ways. So um, I just caught myself in a bind where I didn't have that help in the house anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just decided to, you know, what what can I do to help my family sustain because I don't have any help at home Mm -hmm. right now. So I just thought of the letter that could give me the most money that would take than anything. Yeah, yeah. And um, how how have you actually tried to um, sell this letter? Um, I contacted someone by the name of Gary Zimmett. He is the president of momentsintime.com um, because he was responsible for the sale of another lady in Michigan's letter. Oh. And um, we him, him and I have been, you know, emailing back and forth about what we could do and what we can go about um, as far as the sale. So it is for sale right now for $11,000. Wow. Now, when you first received this, of course, you had a vision of this being um, a true family heirloom. And um, tell us a little bit about what you thought when you first received this letter. Well, I was—I didn't think that he was going to write me back. So I'm—I was—I wanted to hold on to it. I framed it. I 
I put it in a you know safe place because I knew eventually it would be worth a lot of money, and I'm just torn about selling it because you know it means a lot to the black community that he is our first black president, whether he's you know the you know is one after him or it still doesn't matter to us. This is just something that means so much to our community. So I'm just I don't want to sell it. I honestly don't want to, but we have to because we. Are a couple of weeks away from eviction, and mm. you know it's just a lot going on right now. Now, tell me, um, what was your role in the campaign? What did you actually do? What was? Um, I made phone calls. I, you know, promoted on Facebook a lot. I promoted on MySpace at the time. I got Barack the Vote T-shirts made. Um, I made sure all of my family knew what his promises were. Things about key points in his campaign that he wanted us to know that would change if he were to be elected president. So I was I was real adamant. I'm a computer geek, so I'm always on the computer doing something. So that's how I pushed it. And then when I would go out to the grocery store, to the mailbox, I had on something that was Barack Obama. I had something. I had a sticker on my car. It was just I pushed for him. Mm. Yeah, so you were, you were a diehard supporter for him. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Very so, much so. Now, so has your opinion for him changed because of the economy being in its its current state, or are you still a supporter? I am still a 100% supporter. I did state that I was wary of his promises for the simple fact that he did state that things would change within a year or two of his administration, and that really has not happened, but I am still a 100% supporter. I'm still behind him and his administration, and that's not going to change because I know it takes longer than the three years he's been in office to fix a mess that's been there for years prior to him. So I understand it takes time. I'm practicing patience. It's just I let him know that I'm not seeing exactly what he said, but I still believe that that change could come eventually. Right, right. And um, when you had your difficulty, you said, and you had to be on bed rest in order to... um you know, have a safe pregnancy for your child. Um, what were your thoughts about um, knowing that it's a possibility you could lose your job, or was that a surprise to you? Well, the place that the place that I was at, um, you have to be there a year in order to secure your position there, and mm-hmm. I was only there six, five or six months. So I knew that if anything came up with the pregnancy, that I would have to, you know, eventually lose the job because that's their guidelines. So mm-hmm. I was I, I wanted to work with my two year old. I worked up until the day I had her, and with my son, I worked up until the day I had him. So it, it was never a problem about me working. So I just didn't like that I was going to lose my job. Right, right. And um, so after the fact that uh, there wasn't an opportunity for you to to get a position back with this particular employer. Well, I have been applying back. With him, I've been applying at all the area hospitals, all the area clinics, and things like that, and I haven't, you know, heard anything back from anyone yet. Mm. And tell us your situation. What, what, if you don't get this letter sold in time, um, tell us your, your current situation. Where could you be? Well, the current, well, in a couple of weeks, we will be, you know, up for eviction in our apartment where we're at now. And then, um, yet and still, we still have to move because with the addition of my um, three-month-old, that made it too many people according to their guidelines here in a two-bedroom. So we would eventually have to move. And like I said, I did have help from someone I was in a long-term relationship with, and without that secondary income, the rent has become too much for me, especially with me being unemployed. My parents have been helping me. My church has been helping me. But, you know, there's only so much help you can get from those sources before you have to, you know, push on your own. Wow. Yeah. And um, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to bring on um, Charles Ellison to talk a little bit about the economy and um, just about, you know, the dire straits that we're in right now. Charles, are you there? Charles, are you with us? Hmm. Well, I, I guess he's not here. Well, and go ahead and, and tell us. So, w- what will happen? Will you be living with your parents, or? Well, 
well, as of right now, we wouldn't have a place to stay. Um, my parents live in um, small homes, one, two-bedroom homes. So, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, I've, I've been gone out of the nest for so long. So it would be, um, it, it wouldn't be comparable with growing children. Right. Okay. Um, we've got a line. Charles, are you with us? I have to figure out what can, line you Can you hear me? Yeah, Hello? I can hear you can now. You okay, yeah. all right. Hey, I, I was, <laughs> how are you doing? Peace, Michael. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Glad to have you. Right. And um, I, I believe and, you've and, heard uh, a little bit. And hello to your guest as well. Hello. <laughs> how are you doing? All right. Destiny, this is Charles Ellison. Um, Charles Ellison is a featured writer, um, often on the Huffington Post, as well as he's a talk show host uh, in his own right um, with the New School on um, XM Radio. And Charles, um, you were listening in. Uh, Just tell us a little bit about um, how how this plays out and um, what the current state of our economy is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're still going through a situation here where um, officially – the country's still going through a through a recovery economically. That's what the official word is. However, um, it's going through a jobless recovery, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so, as a, and and you have a lot of economists kind of debating back and forth whether or not you can truly have a jobless recovery. It's it's very hard to have a recovery if folks are unemployed. They don't have disposable income, and they can't put that back into the economy to to get it churning because about three quarters of our economy is based on consumer spending. So you have a situation mm-hmm. here, like with Destiny, she doesn't have the, you know, she's got very limited disposable income. That's why she's in the situation that she's in right now where she, she feels compelled to sell this letter, you know, so she can be in that, that situation. So a lot of, there, there are a lot of uh, economists, a lot of activists, a lot of um, analysts who really doubt that, that we're going through a strong recovery as has been officially noted. Um, and then, you know, Destiny is also, she's the, the, the profile of um, not just your general unemployment, which officially is nine, at 9.1%. Um, we saw it tick up about a, a fraction of a percentage point last month. Um, but she's also the face of a very high black unemployment. The black unemployment rate um, is as, as high as um, the unemployment rate for other demographic groups here in the United States right now. Now, officially, the black unemployment rate is at about um, – uh, they say 15.5, uh, 15.6%. That's official. But when you look deeper into the numbers, you talk to uh, the, the experts, you talk to economists, you even talk to uh, administration officials, there are the other numbers that aren't counted officially by the Department of Labor and are not released, and those are the underemployed, uh, those who have fallen off the grid, you know, those who are not receiving unemployment benefits anymore, you know, those who have exhausted their 99 weeks of unemployment benefits, they're right. called the 99ers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there are folks who have just uh, given up, you know, after, say, two, you know, a, a year and a half, two years of, of struggling to find a job, and then, you know, they end up moving back home. Or, you know, so they, actually some people's situations become worse. They, like Destiny, you know, they may face eviction or foreclosure, may not have a home at all, so you've had a, a rise in homelessness. This, and so uh, it, it, the unemployment rate could actually, the general unemployment rate, uh, you will hear some economists say it could be around uh, a quarter of the population, uh, close to about 25%. That's the general unemployment rate, Un- mm. unemployment, underemployment as well. And then you have black unemployment, which when you look at certain cities, like, for example, like my hometown, Philadelphia, black male unemployment is 50%. New York, it's, uh, it's near 50% for black males, for black females, um, it's it's hovering at about 40, 42%. Chicago, 50%. So when you look at different major urban centers where 85% of the total U.S. population resides, you have these very, very high and alarming unemployment rates for African Americans, for for folks like Destiny. And so you're, you're in this kind of weird kind of paradox here as far as now we can go into the politics of it. And Destiny's case is rather... Um, indicative is it, it sort of personifies the, the relationship right now that the black electorate um, is having with their first black president. You know, there's this there's a very deep cultural and emotional attachment that that the community has to that particular to, to that that president because of the history. But when you look at the sort of the raw political calculus and you look at some of the polls that have come out recently, uh, for example, um, the recent I just wrote about this um, for the Atlanta Post. Uh, you have the recent uh, YouGov poll, which came out, which was showing different approval ratings 
uh, for the president last week. And you see very, um, you still see, you know, strong approval ratings compared to other demographic groups amongst African Americans. You know, there are more African Americans, obviously, that approve of the president's performance than whites and Latinos, but still it's very much under 50% in terms of the number of African Americans who strongly approve of him. So, you know, it's, it's this general, the, the euphoria from 2008, you know, that Destiny described in terms of her going about and canvassing and campaigning for the president, that euphoria is not there anymore. And so there's a big worry within when you talk to administration officials, when you talk to political operatives within the Democratic Party, you talk to folks in the Obama 2012 campaign, which is ramping up, and they're very aware of it, that there is that because it's so rough out there for a lot of black folks, I mean, out there in the streets and in, and in major places all over the country, going through, even folks who are, who are employed, their wages are stagnant, you know, or they're in jobs where, or they're in situations where they're being asked to work more for less, you know, they're being treated in a very abusive manner. Um, you know, you're seeing a very high rate of, 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 of micromanaging managers abusing, you know, folks in the office because they understand that folks are not, are not going to retaliate because they want to keep their job. So you got mm. that going on as well. That that dynamic, um, you know, folks. You know, you got gas prices increasing or energy prices. You've got food prices going up. You know, it's it's a and then you've got governments on the state and local level, uh, you know, increasing fees and and all sorts of uh, you know penalties for for various you know for whether it's you know anything from parking meters to parking tickets and. Uh, and, and speed tickets, you know, just raising the fees on everything. So, you know, people are getting squeezed. And exactly. so there's just a general feeling of, of anxiety out there as we're heading into the 2012 election. So, you know, particularly with, with black folks, the situation of a quarter, a quarter, and, and Destiny possibly represents this based on what she was doing professionally and, you know, based on what I was hearing, I mean, she she would be defined as middle class or working middle class. You know, you've had... Uh, over a quarter of the African-American middle class since this recession has began has been wiped out. You know, a lot of people don't realize this. I mean, it's, it's that real. Mm. And, and a quarter of the black middle class has been wiped out by this recession. You know, so it's, it's the irony of the first black president having the first black family in the White House, but then you have a quarter of the black middle class being wiped out and the black family essentially under a severe amount of strain because of that. And so, you know, there's this weird kind of paradox going on. And, you know, when you go out there, you know, I, I go back home to Northfield. I try to get outside the Beltway when I can. And you talk to folks, they're not feeling as enthusiastic about the president. And, and he has to be very careful about the visuals and the optics of, you know, for example, this past weekend going out golfing with Speaker Boehner and Vice President Joe Biden and, and Ohio Governor John Kasich, you know, they had the golf summit, you know, and, you know, to, to talk, you know, to you know, to try to talk about negotiating the problem with the federal budget and the deficit. Well, you know, to some folks, that can look very detached. You know, politicians, right. mm -hmm. it can look very old boys, you know, like, you know, the, the good old boys, you know, going out on the, on the links, you know, yucking it up on the green and, and negotiating these big deals over golf. That's not the kind of, you know, when you talk to some folks out on the street, they're kind of like, that's not the kind of vision they want to see. That's not the kind of visual. They want to see him... Um, applying a sense of urgency to this jobless situation, and there's a sense that he's not. Now, tell us a little bit about where we are now with, um, I mean, the, the stimulus money is running out for most states, and states are in trouble now. I mean, what's going to be the impact of that? I mean, this is something that's coming up on us rapidly. It, it is. I mean, that, that's the, the other, you know, you, you have some uh, experts who call that like the, you know, the second recession. I mean, you understand that when you when you do talk to a lot of experts and economists privately, they will use the D word in, in describing this this uh, this this current um, or previous recession as it is. They will use the the word depression, but psychologically, that's not the kind of word that neither the administration nor a lot of experts or a lot of think tanks want to put out there. Because psychologically, that can have a very debilitating effect. But, uh, you know, the states, that's the big thing, you know, in terms of, you know, a lot of the, the stimulus was for to, to, to sort of get states on a, on a good footing because they were dealing with a combined about, uh, you know, somewhere in the avenue of about, um, you know, close to a half a trillion dollars worth of combined 
state debt from, you know, I think it was last year it was about $300, $350 billion in, in terms of all 50 states, their combined debt or the combined red ink. So, you know, now that, that federal stimulus money has run out, um, there really is no conversation regarding a second stimulus, you know, because politically it's just untenable right now, with, um, particularly with, with Republicans in charge of the House. And so now there is the states are, are now in a, in a position where they, they've got to cut. You know, they feel like they have no choice but to cut. So you have state legislatures and everything all over, uh, with the exception of, of several states that have actually been able to balance their budgets. But, you know, you can't balance your budgets without cutting uh, key core programs um, and social services. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. And so as a result, that's that, that the cost of cutting um, has impacted in a very big way folks who are who are who are poor or working class or working middle class, that middle class that I told you about that, that evaporated over the course of the recession and that's still struggling to try to find a job because you've got one job for every six people looking for a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that impacts them in a big way as well. And so you even have some states like Michigan that are talking about, uh, you know, phasing out their jobless benefits altogether. So it's, right. uh, And then at the same time, you've got states obviously considering, you know, as, as a way to make up for budget shortfalls, uh, raising taxes, you know, raising property taxes or raising taxes on, on certain segments of the population or raising taxes on certain types of, of services or government services or raising fees. So, you know, for example, if a driver's license, if it costs $50, you get a driver's license now. It's one hundred and fifty dollars. This is for example. So it's mm. it, you know it's a lot. And then you got the voter ID laws obviously coming into that. So that's another discussion. You know, right? <laughs> you want you want, wow. you want voter ID laws at the same time while you're raising the price on on getting uh, on getting proper identification. So and, and what you're really saying, about. Charles, is you're drawing cons- concentric circles around African Americans. We're a target right now. We're in a situation where this is all pointing to us, and. Right. Uh, the impact is coming very soon, and um, there's no plan, in effect, to to resolve this issue. And uh, so, so what do you think is going to happen? I mean, something well, has you know, to there's another. You, you know, you're absolutely right, uh, Michael. You know, there's another situation too, as far as you know, the battles that's been going on regarding uh, public sector unions. And you know, you've had uh, key states like Wisconsin and Ohio, which are also political battleground states. You've had this um, this assault on public sector unions and trying to get them to compromise or trying to get them to uh, to um, eliminate or cut or reduce certain benefits. And, um, you know, and, and public sector unions have obviously been very resistant towards that, that move by a lot of Republican governors. But, you know, you have to take this into context as far as African Americans are concerned. Once again, you have a situation here where 25% of public sector workers on the federal, state, and local level are African Americans. So when you have these enormous cuts that are taking place in the state and local governments, who do you think is, you know, getting is getting disproportionately impacted right. by those cuts? It's the African American middle class, African American working middle class. That's what built the African American middle class was was government jobs. So not even you know government jobs are are not sacred anymore. So you know I, it, I you know I don't tell this to alarm people. It's just that you know folks have got and and, and I. I also say this with Destiny, hopefully that will actually help Destiny's situation in terms of looking at it from that perspective and looking at the pure numbers because that's the way, you know, that you can kind of struggle through it, you know, is this, if, if you know the economic and political context, you know, of what it is you're going through, it kind of helps you get through it because you understand, hey, you know what, I'm not the only one because, you know, folks are, are walking around, especially in here inside Washington, D.C., where you got a lot of black folks with very middle class and, and you know very well to do you know very wealthy. I live in Prince George's County, you know outside of Washington D.C. You know it's the wealthiest uh, concentration of black people in, in the United States, and you know a lot of people are just walking around and you know and acting like you know folks aren't hurting. But you know you got people here in Prince George's County living up in big homes, big houses, unemployed, and they just keep and they just struggling, just barely struggling to keep together on unemployment benefits. But of course you know they don't talk about it. So, you know, there's this, this general, you know, and, and then, you know, it doesn't feel like a depression because we've got all these technological amenities and, and comforts surrounding us that, that don't, it doesn't feel like the depression of the, of the 1930s when people were kind of standing in bread lines and, you know, <laughs> you know standing around barrels with, 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 uh, with fire coming out of it to keep warm and, and taking their money out of banks because we've got the FDIC now. But, you know, it's real. People are out there hurting. 
and and I think the people that um, that that do have jobs that that aren't hurting as much, I think they need to recognize that, and there needs to be a general sense of awareness. There needs to be a, a general um, amount of compassion, you know, towards folks who are going through these hard hard times. Mm-hmm. Uh, there needs to be a general sense of urgency uh, from folks in the community and also from the uh, from the administration at large as well. It's real out there. People, folks are still hurting. Absolutely. And we've got to reverse this this trend, and and a lot of it's psychological too, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I really, you know, I know a lot of your audience. You know, there's a lot of brothers and sisters out there who are like, well, you know, I'm I'm fine, and you know, they don't they're not worried about you know other folks, but you know, we got it's a, it's an endless cycle because, you know, Destiny's situation. What if she doesn't get a job? What if she does get evicted? What if you know her kids suddenly get you know, catapulted into a into a vicious cycle, or she gets catapulted into a vicious cycle, and then you know, God forbid, you know, she's for. I'm just using this as an example. I think she's going to be fine, you know, because she's already kind of taking the matters into her own hands, you know. So mm-hmm. I mean, we'll pray for her, but it's a lot of folks out there doing some really uh, dramatic things, um, you know, to survive or to acting out, and right. so as a result, that impacts us. So mm-hmm. you know, them brothers, them, those brothers on the corner there. Or you know, just walking around in these you know in shopping mall parking lots or whatever, that impacts you. So exactly. you can't just ignore it and make it seem like it's not your problem. It it, it will become your problem because mm-hmm. then you get into to to a you know then you get into a discussion about blight and about you know the broken window effect. You know, so where you know you got empty houses and broken right. windows, and then you know that that impacts the, the quality of life in your community. So no, this this is all full circle. This is what. what, what would the would the Lion King call it the circle of life? That, mm-hmm. All this stuff is interconnected. It's it's an ecology of, of of economics and politics, and it's all structurally. It's we're all connected, you know, not just biologically, but also economically and politically as well. And, and so, on that you know, note, Charles, I just up. wanted to say something too. Is um, a lot of people may not know this that are living comfortably in their neighborhoods and their large houses and their you know very comfy suburban um, residents that a lot of their neighbors are not paying their mortgage and the banks just aren't evicting them because it's not profitable for them to do that anymore. There are a lot exactly. of people who are just sitting there waiting. You, and, you, and, you know, you, you're absolutely right, Michael. I mean, to cut you off, but, you know, you can just look around your neighborhood and you can see folks, you know, if you happen to take a day off, look at the folks or if you work at home, look at the other folks who are also at home. You see there's a lot of people staying at home these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just conveying, it's not funny, but that's how, practical and how simple um but also how alarming this trend is you know the these these um these trends that we're going through right now um you, you got to look around you you can see it happening you can see it happening uh it may not be as dramatic um as say in a prince george's county maryland but you can definitely see it in places like when i go back home in, in philadelphia it's, it's very evident mm-hmm. it's very apparent was going on. I mean, philly was already a hard place to live even before the recession, Philly's always been a per, in a perpetual state of recession, you know, particularly for brothers. But when you go back there and you're in the middle of a recession, you can imagine how it is now. So, you know, people got to wake up and, and really be aware of what's going on around them and then, you know, then start taking action. And I don't want to drop off uh, Destiny and just leave her at this point. Um, Destiny, is there anything that you think that anyone can do for you or this um, particular um, forum can do for you or this um, format, you being able to have a voice at this time? Um, I'm really not necessarily asking for, quote, handouts, which is what a lot of the blogs and stuff are saying. I mean, they are relentless, mean and a lot of it is the black community that are like crucifying me. Like, well, why is she doing that? Why? Well, why is she looking for a handout? It's not our responsibility to take care of her kids. And technically, I just applied for assistance recently. It's not like I've been on it. So mm-hmm. it's like if someone you know has a job that I can do that you know that that I mean I'm capable of doing basically anything. I have customer service background. I'm a, a, an amazing whiz at computers and medical as well. It's like jobs. Like you have an open position you are, you know someone that's hiring just like the recommendation thing like hey, I heard such and such was hiring. And tell I'm everybody where you're located as well. I'm in uh Northwest Indiana, the Holbert Chicagoland area. Okay. And um, I, I noticed that on, on your Facebook page, you, you had your number posted as well. Um, is there any 
uh, contact information that's available that would help people who might be able to um, help you to find a job or employ you that could um, contact you directly as well? Well, I have a P.O. box. Um, people have been sending me um, just some small tokens, like uplifting literature, things like that, Bible verses and things like that. But my P.O. box um, is my first and last name, Destiny Mathis. Um, my P.O. box is P.O. box, the number three, and that's in Hobart, H-O-B-A-R-T, Indiana, and the zip code is 46342. 46342. Okay, mm-hmm. great. And um, if you're with on the computer, go ahead and um, set yourself something up. Uh, if you have a web page, or just can uh, create a um, one of those boxes where people can do some donations. And um, you know, you have to not worry about what people are saying who were criticized, but you know, give people a venue, the folks that could possibly help you. And if you put something out there on the internet, um, a lot of people just jump on board and, and at least will help you to promote. Um, you know, your situation maybe hopefully um, even raise the amount maybe that that letter may sell for um, and, and just provide support in any way they can. So mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be we'll be looking for ways that we can do that as well. And, uh, you know, you keep in contact with us and um, and we'll try to keep in contact with you because we want to know um, what happens with you. We don't want you to just um, fall through the cracks on this. Um, you stay in contact with us and we want to see somehow see a way out of this for you. Thank you. I hope something comes through. I have three beautiful children that look to me, and when they see that I'm, you know, sad, they know Mommy's sad, and I try not to, you know, listen to the criticism because a lot of the blogs, they've perpetuated a lot of rumors and a lot of untrue things, and I wish I had the time to just reply to everything. Mm -hmm. But the main question that everyone's asking is, you know, well, where's the father, where's the husband, and I'm not ever going to bash my children's father, ever, never. Even though I'm Mm -hmm. angry at him, I will not bash. But the thing is, the stereotype is, oh, well, you have to be married. And I have friends that are married, have been married, divorced with kids. A a piece of paper doesn't make a man stay. And a lot of black women are forcing men or, you know, making it so they have to be married to do it. And it's not like that because marriages fail all the time. And I'm a witness to that because I know friends who are divorced and have husbands that cheated. So it's kind of hard to not listen to it because that is a stereotype that we are all all black women are unwed mothers when it's not true. But I know married women who have the same issues that I'm having, even with being married, the man's not there. So it is hard, and, you know, I have to kind of just brush it off like, oh, they talked about Jesus, and it's the truth. They talked about Jesus. They talked about God. So it's like, who am I to just be angry about it when they talked about people who are way more superior than I am? I'm just destiny, and I'm selling something that I rightfully own. If that's the case, no one should have garage sales. No one should have the little for sale sign in their back window of their vehicle because they're trying to sell it. If it's so wrong to sell what you own, then no one should be selling anything, whether that be a dining room table or a CD out of their trunk. It's, It's just wrong, then, if that's the problem. So it's very heartbreaking that it's, you know, mostly the black community. Whites have said stuff, but it's mainly my own kind, and that's what hurts a lot. Right, right, and especially at a time when you're down. You know, it's it's funny how there's no shortage of people to criticize you or try to kick you when you're down when you're going through something, but you won't find those accolades when you've um, come out of it and you're doing great things. So, um, you know, it, it's just you know, the way of the world. So, yeah, don't worry about those things. Focus on your family and um, just try to keep yourself centered and focus on pulling your way out of this because you can't let an opportunity walk past you. And, um, you know, by thinking or being in the wrong state of mind because of um, the pressure that's on you. So we we just um, we pray for you and we just hope that you'll be able to um, again find your way through this. And if you could just hang in there with us for a little while, um, we're going to talk with um, Christopher King. Christopher King is um, a real estate expert and has been dealing with a lot of folks who have been going through um, bankruptcies, foreclosures, and, and issues with their credit, trying to buy a home or find a place to live. Christopher, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Great to have you back on again. Thank you. Great to be back. And um, you've heard a little bit about her situation, and you've worked with folks who are going through a, a number of different types of housing crises. Um, what can you um, shed on this story? Well, uh, she's 
already addressing the main thing, which is what caused the hardship, which is unemployment. And the fact that she's um, being willing to auction off uh, a a um, memento that I'm sure is very close to her is a, is a first step toward um, dealing with her issue. Uh, the second step I would recommend would be uh, putting her um, profile as far as her skills and her experience on sites like Odesk, O-D-E-S-K.com. And basically what that is, that's a, um, a Internet web portal that allows you to um, market yourself on a worldwide basis. Uh, you can mar- market skills such as admin skills, such as being someone's virtual assistant, um, doing Internet-type work. She said she's very Internet savvy. I would use that as a method as well because if she has time on her hands, instead of trying to find a traditional job, she can find or she can contract her services out to other people who might uh, be in other states or even in other countries who may be able to utilize her services. And ODESC has a way of paying her for her time and her services as well. Um, How does that sound, Destiny? That sounds great. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> oh, see, that's what I love about love about Blog Talk Radio is people just jump on it right away and um, are able to to explore the links and the things that we suggest. Now, um, again, there are a lot of um, jobs that you can get working at home where it's um, it has to do with the medical field as well, but it's just um, having to do with their data. And um, I hear those advertised quite a bit, so that's a great idea, Chris. Yes, I mean, it's several things, and depending on her situation, how much time she truly has, uh, I will look to, initially, I'm a strong proponent behind volunteering. I know volunteering doesn't necessarily pay, but volunteering can, if you have time on your hands, create opportunities where you can maybe volunteer uh, at different nonprofits, and the relationships you can build through that time can lead to actual employment with other uh, agencies, those nonprofits work and support. And so those are some different ideas I would actually look at uh, recommending. Now, Destiny, in your current situation, what are you doing about the kids if you're going out to look for work? Um, is there someone there that can help you in that aspect as well? Um, my mom watches my kids um, sometimes. My dad watches my son. Um, and then I have a friend who recommended um, a new high school graduate to me, so I'm in the process of stealing her out a little bit. I am very, very, very picky about who watches my children because I had a bad daycare experience before with my son. So um, the going to the interview things is not a problem. My parents are pushing me to get back into the, the work field. With my daughter, my youngest daughter, she was born six weeks premature, uh, via emergency cesarean section. So um, she has um, some apnea issues where she stops breathing when she sleeps and stuff, so she's on a monitor. Mm. So I have to find someone who can understand that, you know, not, you know, just put her on her back in the crib and walk away. That's what I need someone to watch her because that is my main concern, which is the safety of my children first. Because if I'm at work and I have my kids with somebody I don't trust, I can't concentrate on what I'm doing. And I need to be a very productive person in order to keep a job that I like or that I love, and especially one that I need to, you know, support my family. Hmm. And, you know, it sounds to me like you, you've got all your ducks in a row, and um, you know, it's sort of sad that this has happened to you, but, you know, um, I, I see it building something within you that, that makes you more a uh, stronger person as well as more versatile and understanding and determined uh the life that you're going to have for your your family, and um, I, I just really appreciate you as a, uh, an example of a mother um, that's out there that um, is is definitely focused on the best for a family. And uh, I just really want to commend you for that, even going through the situation that you're going through. Thank you. Yeah, and um, we just hope that um, things will change rapidly for you. And um, Christopher, um, tell us a little bit more about some of the other work that you're doing as far as um, just helping folks with um, their current um, mortgage crisis or home situations as well that may not necessarily apply directly to Destiny's situation, but um, let's just hear a little bit about what you've got going on. Well, okay. Well, basically what I've done is I've aligned myself with several real estate professionals, uh, clergy, um, banks, and we formed a nonprofit organization 
titled The Partnership for Housing Recovery and Sustainability. And the nonprofit is geared towards mandating pre- and post-home buying education. We like to say that we're education-driven, support-oriented, and community-engaged. And what our premise is to help on three key goals, help stabilize real estate markets, look for creating job opportunities, as well as looking to increase homeownership sustainability. And our approach to real estate is more of an organic approach where we look at the economic drivers that uh, drive the real estate market, such as jobs, such as um, business, because, of course, people can't buy homes if they're going to be unemployed, or they can't buy homes if their companies land them off or their businesses are not um, falling through or not profitable. And so our approach is to uh, assist whether a person is a home buyer or whether they're a homeowner, uh, either purchase a home, regardless of what their credit score and financial status may be, we can assist them with purchasing a home. It may We say it can be anywhere from 90 days up to two years, but we can get you in a home through education, support, and guidance. Or if you are a homeowner and you're facing foreclosure or you're behind your mortgage, you need assistance, then we can assist you in that area with keeping your home or fighting for your home. And again, we look at education and guidance. And we look at increasing your skill set. Um, that's one of the things that we, we definitely value. Not only home buying education and credit and financially literacy education, but education in, in the context of soft skills, uh, computer programming, um, building, uh, understanding how to use the social media over the Internet. That's, that's a very important aspect that a lot of people can uh, utilize and develop soft skills as far as how to use Facebook, how to use Twitter, uh, becoming very proficient with um, social media skills is what a lot of small businesses really need. If a person becomes very proficient with how to use these tools, then they can market themselves out and, and receive money. And, again, it may be initially only $250 extra a month, but the beauty of the Internet or the power of the Internet is it opens you up into the whole entire world so that you can market yourself there. And that's really what we want to do is because we realize that most people's challenges as they face uh, credit and finances are really habit-based. And so our program really gets at the core of helping them to deal with those habits by exposing them to uh, education, other resources that can keep their mind on a positive track, on a more motivated track, and show them opportunities and put them in, put them in position to explore those opportunities for either income, education, and, again, connecting with other people that can assist them. And, and Destiny, I hope that, um, you know, sometime down the road in the near future, you'll be in a position where you can actually start looking at um, hopefully owning a home as, as opposed to renting and um, using um, that home as a tool, the tool that it is to be able to, to gain financial freedom for yourself. And um, have you considered that in the past as well? Oh, yes. I Everyone says, what I pay in rent here, I could pay in a mortgage. But, you know, mm -hmm. like a lot of my, I'm not speaking for all, you know, young black women, but I, you know, when you're in high school, they send you those, oh, you graduate from high school, here are these, they call them subprime lending credit cards, where they charge you so many fees. The credit limit, let's say, is $400, and they charge you $250, in fees. So, and I think that's what the subprime lending um, crisis is why a lot of people are going into foreclosure. So, you know, you don't have to verify your income on documents, and you have, like, these arms and things like that. So my mom and them educated me on that, but I have most definitely wanted to own a home because $900 rent, it's a house down the street on Zillow where my mortgage payment could be $650 for a four-bedroom home. So it is kind of discouraging because I could be owning instead of renting. But with everything going on, with the banks being so stringent upon the application process and credit scores, I wouldn't have a chance. So I'm working on that. That's one of my goals to get a good job so that I can look into, you know, doing that eventually within the next five or six years. Well, um, if if you listen to Chris's advice, I think he could probably help you in a, um, a, a venue that will probably happen a lot faster than that as soon as you gain some employment. Um, yeah, because he, he, he can work some, some miracles, actually. I don't know how else to put it, but uh, some of the stories I've heard are just phenomenal and the things that he's doing with the knowledge that he has. And tell us a little bit more about that, Chris. 
Well, basically, again, um, approaching it from a home buyer standpoint, uh, she talked about, again, the, some of the uh, exotic mortgages that were pretty prevalent in 2007, 2008. Uh, they pretty much clean those type of mortgage lending products out, out, of, the, out of the mortgage market now. And so uh, they cleared the way. So more likely, they've eliminated um, the likelihood that you can easily be duped into what's called a, a arm or a uh, exotic mortgage that, that would uh, adjust and, and you lose your home. But they have made the credit criteria a little more stringent. And so what we do is we say that before you, um, once you determine you want to buy a home, really, I would say six months out minimally, you should begin to look at your credit and begin to work towards that. Because just like uh, getting a college degree, I mean, once you understand that I have four years to get this college degree and here's the classes I have to take and here's the path of the process, home buying is very similar. No, it won't take you four years. In most cases, uh, a person with terrible credit, which may be 350 on a, on a FICO credit score model, the lowest a credit score could possibly be, a person can actually become a homeowner in, in, in two years. Now, within six to eight months, they can actually become a home renter where they're actually renting a home with the option to purchase that home in two years. And that criteria, what we're doing in this area, we're looking to expand it, is we won't use credit as a criteria. We use uh, the fact that you have stable income and that you intend to purchase a home, and then we go through making sure that through support and education and guidance that we get you to become mortgage ready in that time frame. And so really, our program is really designed to work with motivated home buyers who are really motivated and are really willing to do some of the things necessary, such as um, cut back on their living expenses, uh, more importantly, become more credit educated so they can understand how to use credit solely for the purpose of establishing and building and improving their credit, not to go out and purchase things they can't afford with cash. And that's one of the main things that we really stress is credit is a tool. And if it's used properly and understand how credit can work, it's a tool that you can sharpen that will cut through most of the bureaucracy and, and the um, red tape and get you in a home much quicker. And there is nothing that's impossible for anybody who wants to obtain home ownership. It's just a matter of time. And like I said, whether it's going to be six months, whether it's going to be two years, but home ownership is there for anyone who's prepared to buy it. And again, prepared, being educated, um, having a, a disciplined savings plan, and just really having written goals and sticking to those goals and sticking to it. Now, Chris, uh, so there's information. We know that you primarily work in the um, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, but there's information through your program and on your website for anyone in the United States that could benefit by trying to use some of your um, your advice and your methods in order to be able to pull themselves out of the current situation? Yes, definitely. Um, currently, we have a lot of written information as far as articles, uh, we have web blogs, uh, blogging articles that you can go and read about how to start buying a home, how to go about improving your credit, how to go about um, securing and starting your finances. And by the end of the month of um, July, I'm sorry, by the middle of July, we're actually going to have online uh, webinars where a person can log on and actually take online classes so they can, again, learn how to go about getting their credit cleaned up and improving right. their And so those are some of the things that people who are uh, not in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, they can get on our website and they'll be able to utilize those tools to help prepare themselves for home ownership. Uh, and go ahead and give the website, Chris. Well, the website currently right now, and it will, it will change shortly, but the website currently is uh, www.rrshelps.com. Again, um, www.r as in Richard, R as in Richard, S as in Sam, H-E-L-P-S dot com. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate you um, joining us. And, and Destiny, um, just hang in there for a second, and we'll go ahead and close the show. Um, but, Destiny, I, I just want to say, um, you know, I wish you the best. You, you seem like uh, a young lady who's very sharp, very intelligent, and um, ready to do whatever the work is that's needed to be able to um, get your family um, back on track. And um, I can't say enough how much we're pulling for you, and we just hope that we can um, somehow put the word out there that someone will be able to contact you and help you a little further towards your goals. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate you having me on. 
Yeah, and um, you know, um feel free to contact us again. Um this show is on every Monday at seven and if you just need to call in and let us know something that's going on, um feel free to do that and we'd be happy to hear from you. But uh, again, like I said, um we want to stay with this until we find out that um things have been resolved and your situation is better than it was. Okay, well, that's great. I will most definitely keep in contact. <laughs> okay, all right then. And anybody out there that has a job for Destiny over the Internet or if they're actually in her area in Indiana, please, please contact her. Um, and if you can't find her directly, you can always contact me through my Facebook page. Um, it's open from Michael Fordham. Um, you can Google a measure of truth and um, look for me on LinkedIn. There's so many different ways to find me, and I'll be happy to forward the information to Destiny. That's great. Awesome. <laughs> well, <laughs> and say hello to the kids for me, and um, we appreciate you taking the time out today and calling in. I will. My daughter's been trying to take the phone from me to say hi, but I didn't want it to because then she'll run off with it. <laughs> All right, then. Well, thank you, Destiny, and uh, hopefully we'll talk with you soon. All right, great. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation and, yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, They can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org Or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. It seems that the truth has somehow lost its appeal. In today's society, what really can we say is the truth? Most of what we hear from news sources, whether they're TV, radio, newspapers, magazines, and the Internet, have been crafted with only one goal in mind, to sell more publications, to get higher ratings, and grab the attention of more and more consumers. We as consumers have been corralled, misled, polluted, and confused by the media hype and spin doctor machine until we're too exhausted and overwhelmed by the rhetoric and minutiae, to have the real focused attention needed to analyze the facts when the truth finally does come to light. The story that could be has become so enticing to the media conglomerates that the real story and a great story no longer resemble one another. A Measure of Truth attempts to expose the underlying truth of news stories that you all have heard before, 
but gives you first-hand accounts from key players that have not yet been given a voice to tell the facts. These bearers of the truth are often forced to wait until the media hype has expired, and the backstory, which was in fact the only story, finally comes into vogue. When news and information comes with this much baggage, you can only hope for a measure of truth. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Young Lives DC 34. Young Lives is a unique, cutting-edge, nonprofit Christian organization designed to empower and equip pregnant and parenting teen moms to become productive citizens in the community. A program that partners teens and mature Christian women to provide teen girls in crisis with timely encouragement, guidance, and ongoing support. Through the power of presence, kids and teens' lives are dramatically impacted when caring adults come alongside them, sharing God's love. Because someone believes in them, they begin to see that their lives have great worth, meaning, and purpose. This is just the first step in a lifelong journey. The choices they make today based on God's love for them will impact their future decisions, the careers they choose, the marriages they form, and the families they raise. And all of this can be traced back to the time when a young life leader reached out and entered their world. For more information or to get involved, check out their webpage at www.younglives.younglife.org. Or if you're in the D.C. metropolitan area, call 202-399-7017. Well, we've come to the end of another show. I just want to say special thanks to Christopher King, Charles Ellison, and our producer Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily. But know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.